It has been a hell of a week for me. Is that true for anybody else in the room? Our, our, our staff has been in a four-week study of a really important book called White Fragility uh, by a woman named Robin D'Angelo. And it's good to be having conversations about race, but it's painful to be having conversations about race. When you peel back the onion and start looking underneath and around all the things, your body's just like, whoa, that's really, really hard. Um, it's Black History Month, so that means I'm immersing myself in all the things. So John and I have been to see so much black theater, black art, black stuff, black museums. But we saw, let me see, we saw a slave play, which about some antebellum sex stuff. It was like, okay. That was, that was kind of intense. And then we saw American Son with Kerry Washington and the, you know, the biracial couple and the boy gets killed. I hope I'm not um, doing a cliff, what's it called, story killer, killer for you, but that, thank you, thank that thing, trailer. Maybe perhaps, but oh my God, that was intense. And then we saw The Hate You Give, and that was super intense, where the hairbrush and then selling the boy's dead. Um, it was intense. So it was hard for John this week. John, my white husband had a hard week because his black wife had a super hard week. And that hardness be traveling in your family. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're like, all oh, pulled in and everybody's getting along, but then suddenly you're like, that was very white of you, John, right there. I don't know if that's whiteness or genderness or older me than me genderness, but either way, shut up, you know. It's really, it's really hard. So, and then against that backdrop is like, let's have some blackface Ku Klux Klan picture in your book. But it's me, but it's not me, but it's me, but it's not, whatever. All of that stuff makes it hard to be black in America. Somebody say amen. amen. So we're not ready. We've been listening, friends who are visiting through some call stories, you know, Jeremiah, Moses, here's... Here's Isaiah, we're not, he's not ready. I have unclean lips, and I live amongst the people with unclean lips. I'm not ready. So suddenly a winged creature, a seraphim, goes to the altar, gets a hot coal, puts it on Isaiah's mouth to purify him, to make him ready, to blot out his iniquities, a sacrifice, make him ready. And I'm thinking, Man, we're not ready, but who'll go? Somebody got to go. Who'll go? I'll go. Send me. Who'll do this work? Who, who'll do it? We'll do it. Let's go. Who'll speak the truth? I'll go. Send me, but get me ready. So what's the, what's the cleansing thing that gets us ready to do this work? We can't tell the truth till we tell the truth. We've got to tell the truth. The truth is what purifies us and blocks out our iniquities so we can go out there and do the work. It's Black History and Culture Month. Black folks have been on this soil for over 400 years now. And here's the truth. You know, you're watching the book of Negroes, and you're like, oh, there's Angelou Ellis showing you the truth. Kidnapped, 
packed like sardines in the filthy underbelly of boats, living in their own waste, eating slop, shackled and taken up top for just a little while to get some light, hosed down like animals, treated like animals, working like animals, bred like animals, whipped like animals, having their flesh torn off their bodies like animals, children ripped from their arms like animals, sold at the whim of a master, beaten, branded, chased, hunted, re-enslaved, redlined, raped, segregated, miseducated, cast out, kicked out, blocked out, shut out. That's the truth. We don't get to say we're post-racial. Not so long as folks are still being shot in the back or, you know, still can't live where they want to live or schools are resegregated and some students don't have computers and books. Can't say we're post-racial. What is the truth? The hard truth is America has unclean lips when it comes to the history of people of color, the history of indigenous people. I mean, just be in Spain and look across the ocean and decide if a nation isn't Christian, read white, you can just get in your little boats and go across the nation, across the ocean and take the land and take the people and put them on reservations. We have unclean lips. We have unclean lips when it comes to Latino, Latinx people. When Mexico was America, and we try to build some walls to keep the people from their own land, we have unclean lips. We have unclean lips, even though it's 2019, and even though I'm a woman of a certain age with three or four degrees from semi-prestigious universities, I experience the vestiges of racism every single day of my life. And imagine my friends who are like maybe don't have as much stuff, but like my person who picks up the trash or my person who's the nanny for the baby or the person who waits on us in the restaurant or the person who's the bus boy, worse still, or the person who picks up the garbage or the person on the street, on the subway, who we look through, the invisible black person. They have less power than I do. Way less power than most of us do. And so when I hear things like reverse racism, I think the truth is we need to define our terms. You don't know any racist black people. I say you don't know any racist black people. You might know some prejudiced ones. You probably know some bigoted ones. You definitely know some angry ones. But they don't have, we don't have the power to be racist. Racism is prejudice plus power. We have to know our terms. There's no reverse racism. There's no racist black folks. We have to know the truth. The truth will purify our lips so we can tell the truth. So Sojourner Truth told the truth. She says, there's a great stir about colored men getting their rights, but not a word about the colored women. And if colored men get their rights and not colored women theirs, then you see the colored men will be masters over the women 
and it will be just as bad as it was before. That's some truth. And don't you think for a minute that sexism is over, amen? <laughs> Frederick Douglass, truth. Where justice is denied, where poverty is enforced, where ignorance prevails, and where there's any one class made to feel society is an organized conspiracy to oppress, rob, and degrade them, neither persons nor property will be safe. That's the truth. Fannie Lou Hamer, speaking truth, purifying truth. She said, with the people, for the people, by the people, I crack up when I hear that. She says, I say, with the handful, for the handful, by the handful. Because that's what really happens. I'm talking truth that purifies us. And thank God, you know, we don't have to go back in time to hear truth right now. Robin D'Angelo, white sociologist, speaking truth. She says racism is the norm rather than an aberration. She says feedback is key to our ability to recognize and repair our inevitable and often unaware collusion. In recognition of this, she says, I try to follow these guidelines. One, how, where, and when you give me feedback is irrelevant. Understanding that it's hard to give, I will take it any way I can. And from my position of social, cultural, and institutional white power and privilege, I'm perfectly safe and I can handle it, she says. And if I can't handle it, it's on me to build up my racial stamina. My middle family, are you ready to build up some racial stamina? Somebody say amen. amen. Somebody say our preacher's black. And it's Black History Month. So you know she's going to talk about race. So we're not surprised. Amen. amen. So she says, the above guidelines rest on the understanding that there's no face to save, and that the game is up. That we know, she says, as white people, that we have blind spots, and we have unconscious investments in racism. This is, this is her talking. My investments are reinforced every day in mainstream society. I didn't set up the system, but it does unfairly benefit me. I do use it to my advantage, and I'm responsible for interrupting it. We're gonna just say that with her. We're gonna rehearse that together community. Black people are going to say it too just to make us all feel good. <laughs> I did not set this system up. But it does unfairly benefit me. And I do use it to my advantage. And I'm responsible for interrupting it. I'm going to quote her just a little bit longer because I got my butt whipped today in the news in the, on the Yahoo there's so much hate speech on Yahoo right now because I said the words, the myth of white supremacy. Ooh. Somebody said to me, of course it's a myth. And somebody else said, of course white people are superior. But Robin says, <laughs> I hope to have made clear that white supremacy is something much more pervasive and subtle than the actions of explicit white nationalists. In other words, when people got tiki torches and they got clans outfits on, we know what time it is. But the more subtle, the more salacious, the more harmful is the nice, quiet, particularly 
progressive white people who sometimes make mistakes while trying to disrupt racism. So I, though I am not Bill Maher, have 10 new rules for us. Yay! Somebody give me some new rule music. Okay, okay, here we are. This is from Out of Love, because I am the most blessed pastor in America that I get to be the pastor of the multiracial anti-racist congregation called Middle Church. Somebody say amen. We're not just settling for air kisses and mwah, mwah, how are you doing? We are doing the deep, hard, difficult work. So it is with love I give you the new rules. <laughs> Number one, never say I'm not a racist. Never, ever say I'm not a racist. Not to your white people, certainly not to your people of color friends. You could say, God, this is hard but I grew up in an racist world. It must have gotten in me a little bit. You could say that. But don't be saying I'm not a racist because we will stop talking to you. <laughs> Secondly, tell your friends never to say they're not racist. You know what I'm talking about. You're in Chelsea, you're having a glass of wine at Chelsea Market with your friend, and your friend is like, I cannot believe that governor was caught with blackface on, and then he gonna confess the Michael Jackson thing and the shoe What's wrong with him? Those racist crackers, I didn't say that, your friend said that. Your rose racist crackers, what's wrong with them? And they're like all high and mighty and stuff like that about it. You just tap your friend on the shoulder and say, baby, don't you say you're not a racist. <laughs> and don't judge governor, what's his name? Because all of us have a little of this in us. Are you with me? Okay, good, good, good. You're doing great, we're doing great, right? Three. Um, just repeating, because it's worth repeating, there are no racist black people. Say that. There are no racist black people. Do not talk about reverse racism. Do not talk about reversing affirmative action. Do not say somebody got the job because, you know, they got it and you didn't because of their blackness. Black people do not have enough power and can't be racist. Prejudice, yes. Bigoted, sure. Angry, damn straight. Not racist, okay? Are you still with me? What number are we on? Four, read black literature. And not just Ta-Nehisi Coates. That was really excellent. But there's tons of authors besides him. Read some Ida B. Wells. Read some James Baldwin. Read some Toni Morrison. Read The Bluest Eye. It's fictionalized, but it'll teach you a lot about racism. Five, see some black film. Now, I want to suggest that you do it in doses because John and I overdosed this last <laughs> Sam. You know, you watch a couple, like, you're like, oh my God, not another, you know, not another head wrapped, and, you know, like rape, like, no, it gets hard. So spread it out, but let's use February as a month to watch some black film. Those lists are on our website, they'll stay on our website. See Dear White People, that'll make you laugh out loud. Um, next, buy your children black storybooks. Buy your grandchildren black storybooks. Buy your neighbor's children black storybooks. When your children see black children in the media, in storybooks, they begin to think to themselves, oh my God, white isn't the only normal. Somebody say amen. amen. Next, speak truth every single time you encounter racism. Every single 
time. Say you're in a meeting and say all the people are there, but you're one colleague and you're like, where's Bob? Like, oh, I forgot to put Bob on the email. So that's why Bob's not here. Then you could say, I, I feel uncomfortable that we're starting this meeting without Bob. Let's take a coffee break and go get Bob. Because Bob's voice really matters. You see the I statement? You don't have to call them a racist or say they're stank or crazy. Just use your I statements and fix that. Say there's an email chain going around and it's got some humor in the bottom that you know, you know. You know it's racist. Will you circulate that email? No, not anymore, not ever, ever again. You will stop that email before it leaves your box. Why? Because even echoing it and saying this is racist is hurtful to anybody else who saw it that's black and brown. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. When in doubt, ask a question. Do not assume people are African-American because they're brown. They might be from Cape Verde and they don't think of themselves as African-American. Do not assume anything about anybody that's brown about their race. Don't. Do not assume black people are straight. Don't assume black people are um, more homophobic than white people. That's a rumor. That's not true. When in doubt, ask a question. A question is a great intervention. And number 10, stay in touch with Middle Church so that you are students of race in America. Now, the scripture says, to whom much is given, much is required. All the white people, my friends are like, wow, I didn't know this was going to happen today. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Welcome. We're so glad you're here. Everybody in this congregation that walks by the white church to come to this place comes because you're a prophet. It's so much easier to be with your own kind, isn't it? Oh, tell totally me this. The, the white church isn't talking about how to be unracist today. It's so much easier to be in the all black church. Because in the black church, it's like, they, the white people, blah, blah, blah. And that can work too. But none of this is going to build the reign of God on earth. None of that's going to build the reign of God on earth. What's going to build the reign of God on earth is we all exercise our be together muscle. And the be together muscle is like, oh, God. It's like a doing, you know, 90th crunch. <laughs> it is. It makes your head hurt. So up here. It makes your head hurt. But that's our job. It's our job as people of faith to stand up and stand in for the reign of God on earth right now. And that requires practice. And tough sermons from black pastors with dreadlocks <laughs> who had a really hard week. A really hard week. And what gets me up in the morning is coming back here to just once again look out on the faces of the reign of God trying to rehearse on earth. Amen. Trying to rehearse it right here on earth. Jews and Gentiles. Is that a word? Can we still say Gentiles? Jews and non-Jews. Right here in this place. Atheists and agnostics right here in this place. All shades of the rainbow right here in this place. All kinds of genders and sexualities in this place trying not to thingify each other, trying to love each other. And we cannot afford to have this place as one place and have crazy town, that's my theological term, <laughs> for cognitive dissonance out there. Our job is to line up 
our middle person with the person in the office, with the person at the kitchen table, with the person on the corner. Amen? Amen. Amen.